being tracked. To turn around suddenly would be suspicious. Instead, he stopped and feigned a yawn, looking about as if taking in the giant statues, but ready to make a swift evaluation of whoever was in the immediate vicinity. He saw nobody at all. A seated bronze marks, a standing angles, massive, glowering over verdigreased beards and mustaches, two rows of linden trees, an expanse of poorly maintained turf, Across the way, the hulking, long, coppery glass box known as the Palace de Republique. It was a coffin-like building, as if built to entomb the human spirit itself. But the forum seemed vacant. There was scant reassurance in that. Yet was he really certain of what he had heard? Tension, he knew, made the mind play tricks on itself, see goblins in shadows. He had to quell his anxiety. An agent who was excessively keyed up could make errors of judgment, missing real threats while preoccupied by imagined ones. Belknap impulsively walked toward the malignant shimmer of the Palace de République, the regime's flagship building. It housed not only the GDR Parliament, but performance spaces, restaurants, and endless bureaucratic offices that processed countless bureaucratic applications. It was the last place anybody would dare follow him the last place a foreigner would dare show himself, and the first place Belknap thought of to make sure he was as solitary as he had hoped. It was either an inspired decision or a beginner's error. He would know which soon enough. He willed himself into a state of bored complacency as he made his way past the granite-faced guards at the door, who glanced impassively at his worn-looking identification card. He continued through the bulky turnstile, the long wraparound entrance hall smelling of disinfectant, the endless directory of offices and rooms, mounted overhead like the flight times at an airport. You don't pause, you don't look around, act as if you know what you're doing and others will assume that you do. Belknap might have been taken for, what, a low-level office worker back from a late lunch? A citizen in need of documents for a new car? He rounded the corner, and then another corner, until he arrived at the doors on the Alexanderplatz side of the building. As he walked away from the Palast, he studied the images reflected on the building's mirrored glass. A lanky fellow in workman's shoes and a lunch pail. A big-breasted frau with puffy, hung-over eyes. A pair of gray-suited bureaucrats with complexions to match. Nobody he recognized nobody who triggered any sense of alarm. Belknap proceeded to the grand promenade of Stalinist neoclassicism known as Karl Marx Ali. The extra-wide streets were fronted with eight-story buildings, an endless stretch of cream-colored ceramic tiles, tall casements, rows of Roman-style balusters above the shop level. At intervals, decorative tiles showed contented laborers such as the ones who had built the promenade three and a half decades earlier. If Belknap recalled his history correctly, it had been those very laborers who led a rebellion against the socialist order in June 1953, an uprising ruthlessly crushed by Soviet tanks. Stalin's favored confectioner's style of architecture was bitter indeed to those who were compelled to bake it. The promenade was a beautiful lie. Richard Lugner, however, was an ugly one. Lugner had sold out his country, but he hadn't sold cheap. The fading tyrants of Eastern Europe Lugner had grasped had never been more desperate than they were now.
and their desperation matched his avarice. The American secrets he had been purveying, including the names of deep-cover American assets in their own Soviet-style security bureaus, could not be passed up. His treachery presented a rare opportunity. He made separate deals with each member of the Eastern Bloc. Once the goods had been sampled and proven authentic, the identity of perhaps one American asset who would be carefully monitored before being arrested, tortured, and executed. Lugner was able to name his price. Not every merchant stays on good terms with his customers, but Lugner had obviously taken precautions. He must have led his clients to suspect that he had kept a few cards to himself, that his stores of American secrets were not wholly depleted. As long as that possibility remained, such a man would have to be protected. It was appropriate that he should have found quarters among the Stasi officials and GDR nomenclatura who had settled in what had once been proclaimed workers' housing. Even as the true workers found themselves forced into featureless boxes made of concrete slabs. To be sure, Lugner was not a man to stay in one place for long. A month and a half before in Bucharest, Belknap had missed him by a matter of hours. He could take no chances of that happening again. Belknap waited for a few battered-looking Skoda cars to pass and crossed the boulevard just before the intersection where a decrepit-looking hardware store advertised its wares. Would anybody follow him in? Had he only imagined that tale in the first place? A cheap door of plexiglass and enameled aluminum banged behind him as he entered, a screen door that had no screens, and a dour, gray-haired woman with a slight mustache peered at him bleakly from behind a counter, making him feel as if he had interrupted something, committed an act of trespass. The cramped space was suffused with the smell of machine oil. The shelves were filled with items that, it was clear at a glance, nobody had much use for. The dour woman, the shop's eigentuma, continued to scowl as he found items that suggested someone doing maintenance in the apartment blocks. A pail, a container of ready-mixed plaster, a tube of grout, a wide-bladed spackling knife. Within a city in constant need of repair, the tools would immediately explain his presence almost anywhere he appeared. The counterwoman gave him another grudging, the customer is always wrong glare, but sulkily took his money, as if accepting a compensation for an injury. Gaining entrance to the apartment block turned out to be child's play, an ironic advantage of life within a high-security state. Belknap waited as a couple of pungently perfumed housefrows with canvas bags of groceries entered the doorway marked House 435 and followed them in his tools earning him not merely instant legitimacy but unspoken approval. He got off at seven stock, the floor above theirs. If he was right, if his scrawny, greasy-haired informant was playing it on the level, he was only yards away from his quarry. His heart started to thud, a tom-tom of anticipation that he could not dampen. This was no ordinary quarry. Richard Lugner had eluded every conceivable snare, having designed more than a few when he was still on the service of the United States. American intelligence officers had accumulated a vast compendium of reported sightings in the past 18 months and gave credence to few. Belknap himself had drilled dozens of dry holes during the past three months, and at this point his superiors were only interested in a bona fide DPS, 
a direct and positive sighting of his quarry. This time, though, he wasn't merely staking out a bar or cafe or airport lounge. This time he had an address, a real one. There were no guarantees. Yet his instincts, his nose, told him that his luck had turned. He had taken a stab in the dark and had struck something. The next moments would be crucial. Lugner's quarters, evidently a substantial suite with windows facing both the main street and the narrow side street, Kopenstrasse, were down one long hallway and then a short one. Belknap approached the door to the suite and set down his pail. From a distance, he would look like a workman repairing one of the missing floor tiles in the corridor. Then, checking that the hallways were clear, Belknap knelt down before the lever handle. Round doorknobs were almost never seen in this country, and inserted a small optical scope through the keyhole. If he could establish a DPS, he could effectively keep a watch while a proper exfiltration team was mobilized. A big if. Yet this time the trail was short enough that Belknap felt hopeful. It had begun with a late-night visit to the pissoir of the Friedrichstrasse train station, where he had eventually accosted one of the so-called Bonhoff boys, the male prostitutes who frequented such sites. They shared information with far greater reluctance than they did their bodies, as soon became clear, and for a much steeper price. The very predilections that had led Lugner to cross over, he had always been convinced, would betray the betrayer an appetite for underaged flesh. Lugner's indulgences would have caught up with him had he stayed in Washington, and it was not an appetite easily or long-slaked. As a privileged guest of the Eastern Bloc countries, Lugner could count on the fact that his appetites would be overlooked, if not abetted.